Well, Joyce has just come to me and said in the uh, thrill that she experienced as you applauded her presence, she forgot to tell you something, so I'm going to. And that is that um, we're doing Marketplace for Kids Camp. And Kids Camp, of course, is our, our week in July when hundreds of kids come here and hear about Jesus. We often do a reverse offering where you go and you, you take a little slip of paper and buy something to have pr provide for the supplies for Kids Camp. We're doing it differently, Marketplace. Uh, you can go to a table in our atrium. You can choose the supplies uh, and pay for them, and we'll go buy them. So we're doing it in a different way. And if you'd like to do that uh, this morning, you certainly can. I want to thank anybody here also who has, um, you know, heard the little comment that was made last week about us being in a tight place financially, and if you've brought extra today to uh, make a difference there, thank you. That is uh, really, really deeply appreciated. Um, just before, I'm going to pray, but just before I start, I want to tell you uh, this book of Revelation, which we're looking at today, um, it's a powerful book. Um, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. And can I ask you to let Scripture be powerful in your mind and in your heart today? I'm going to be speaking for God. The Word of God will come from the servant of God. But let the Scripture powerfully impact you. Listen to it. Don't shut down. Hear what God has to say to you uh, as I speak and as I read uh, from this remarkable, remarkable book. Let me pray. God, we just love to be in your presence. Um, what a beautiful thing it is when... We, we know that as we sing, we're singing to a God who is with us and a God who is blessed by the words we sing and by the hearts which sing them. And God, we have just offered, offered you this praise in a very real way. And we just pray that you will know our love and our appreciation and our gratitude for you and everything you've done for us, especially what you have done for us in Christ. Now, Lord, we sit in your presence to hear from you as your word is read and it is, as it is spoken to. God, we pray that by your spirit, uh, not one person will leave here today without knowing that they have heard from God. Impact us today, we pray. Let your word come alive and be real to us. Let it change us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're at the end of the story. The end of the story. 31 weeks of going from the beginning of the Bible all the way through to the end. And I'm very impressed, by the way, by how much you know. You know, one of our goals was to um, take our church further into the Bible so that we would become people who know the Word of God, who p become people who are constantly being renewed by it and impacted by it. And I trust this has happened in your life. And I trust that it's not going to stop just because we're finished with this. My goodness, we, we've kind of scanned every single section. <laughs> and there's so much deeper we can go in each one of those. But it's been a good journey. Um, you know, every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Did you know that? I don't know how many of you are authors out there, but you've got the beginning where the, 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 the context is set and the characters are introduced. Then you've got a middle. Usually there's a, an experience of tension that's brought to the story. Trouble. And the conclusion, which often brings resolution to the tension that has been created. Well, you know, we've been through the story. We had Genesis 1 and 2 where God introduced everything. He created, and it was beautiful, and it was right, and it was good. Adam and Eve, humanity, in relationship with him. And, of course, came the tension, sin, which came and marred creation. You and me, all of creation, everything 
deeply impacted in a negative way by the reality of sin and evil in our world. Well, we're coming today to the end of the story. And I want to tell you, the end is good. It is so, so good. And we're going to look into it in some, um, some detail today. I want to use an analogy to jump in uh, uh, to this. Uh, you know, right now on television, it appears that home renovation TV shows are just huge. You know, Fixer Upper. How many of you watch Fixer Upper or something like it, you know? And essentially what happens is that, that uh, people who are looking for a new home are brought to, into a, a run-down, ramshackle disaster of a house. The windows are broken, it's dirty, it's smelly. There's, a, there's a, a designer and a contractor, you know, who bring them into the home, and most people go, oh, I, I don't want to live here. I, I can't see it. I, you know, it's, no, no, no. But what the contractor and the designer do is to paint a picture of what this house can look like, right? I'm just thinking, what are their names? Chip and Joanna, right? Among others. I watch that show. <laughs> I, know, I know a couple, and, and, and the wife came to me and said, because the husband's kind of a tough guy, she said, don't ever tell him that I told you this, but he likes home renovation shows, <laughs> including that one in particular. But what happens is, you know, the, the designer and the contractor bring people in, and, and they paint the picture of what this house could look like, and the people agree to buy this thing that's a mess, and like 12 weeks later or whatever, they're brought back, and their eyes grow wide, and they stand in awe as they look at this beautiful home has been built for them, and they say, this is, this is fantastic. I, this, I want this to be my forever home. How many of you have seen that in these home renovations over and over and over again? They are awed by what that old thing has become. Well, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Um, the reality of what I'm about to describe to you <laughs> is a home renovation. It's a home renovation. L let me describe to you the, the context. In this day when Revelation is written, it's the last book of the Bible, as you know, um, these people are, are living in the broken-down, ramshackle disaster of a house. Evil is powerfully at play in the churches to which John writes under the influence of God, the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the reality is that the world has been the ramshackle, broken-down house ever since Adam and Eve sinned. You know, it was once a beautiful thing, but it's grown old, and it's, it's difficult, and it's challenging. Evil and sin have, have marred what God created. And in this context, it's right at the end of the first century. Um, it's the last book that was written of, of all the biblical books. Um, and Christians are being brutally persecuted by Rome. It's nasty. Um, uh, they're being killed, they're being beheaded, they're being thrown to lions, they're being wrapped in skins of animals and being thrown to wild animals. This is a brutal, brutal, awful time that these people are enduring. John himself, the author of this book, same John who wrote the Gospel of John, and there are great parallels and similarities to the wording and theology. Same John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is now writing Revelation. And he has been banished to an island which you all know now, called Patmos in the Mediterranean. That's his suffering. That's at least part of his persecution. And what he writes in Revelation is called apocalyptic literature. And you might not have heard of that, but people in Jesus' day would have known what it was. Ezekiel and Daniel and others in the Old Testament. Not an unusual thing. Symbolism from Ezekiel and Daniel and others is picked up and used in Revelation. Apocalyptic literature is the type of literature that is written when people are suffering, when really difficult and challenging and painful experiences are being had. And these books are written 
They're written intentionally to speak God's word into the lives of these seven churches that we're going to hear about today, to strengthen them and to encourage them that they might remain faithful to Jesus. That's the big picture of Revelation. That's what's going on. And there are some themes that emerge in this. The first one is this. Things are not as they appear. Understand this. Jesus is portrayed in this book as the mighty God who is reigning over everything. Let me read to you. Page 459 It's Revelation 4, verse 4. 459. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And he's writing literally to seven churches. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Let me tell you this. This is a highly symbolic book. I can't just tell you what all the symbolism means. It would just take forever. But I'm going to hit on the highlights, okay? To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You know, those are powerful words, powerful. Jesus is saying, I am the first and the last. The Alpha and the Omega were the first and last words in the Greek alphabet, which Paul is writing in. He, Jesus is the one who was in the beginning and who now is at the end of our understanding of time and of this earth. He was at creation. John 1, 1 says, and, and the word Jesus was with God and was God. And that, that, that word, Jesus himself, was the one who created everything that was created. He was at the beginning. And here he is at the end of time in terms of human dynamic, you know, as we know it today. Jesus is the reigning eternal one. Um, and this book shows him in this dynamic reality. Page 460, I'm going to carry on. It says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patience <clears throat> and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And there they are. I'm not going to read them. Ah, why not? Ephesus, Smyrna, per Pergamum, Thyatira, Sar Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now listen, I, this is John, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. They're the seven churches. That's the symbolism there. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. John's about to describe Jesus to you. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his hand, in his right hand, he held, the seven, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a short, sharp, double-edged sword. That's the word of God. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now, look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. My goodness, what a picture is given to us of Jesus. The, 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 the Genesis, sorry, Revelation 1-1 says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this, this, this book is about, revealing Jesus to us. 
Jesus is no longer the, the lamb who was slain. Now he is the powerful, almighty God. And John wants these people to know about this one. Let me flip over to chapter 4 and 5, 463 in, uh, in your book. And this is a powerful description of heaven. heaven is, the door of heaven is open to us to see what's going on. It says this, in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and under its wings. Day and night, they never stop singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And that's what we do every Sunday morning here. We lift up and we glorify and we honor our creator God. It's a powerful reality. It's, it, it's God being shown on the throne in heaven. I'm going to carry on. Then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, uh, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? What's a scroll? I tell you, it's the word of God. It's the upper story. All right? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Right? That's Jesus who's overcome. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Jesus. Standing at the center of the throne. Where is he? He's at the center of the throne. Encircled by four living creatures and elders, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, and they sang a new song, saying, this is to Jesus, worthy, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of any angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Do you worship Jesus? We worship God the Father, but we worship the Lamb as well. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You know, this is a dramatic pointing to Christ, pointing to the one who came to if you would unroll the scroll and make it plain to everyone to participate in the story of, of what God was doing so that people might understand it and enter into it. And Jesus is here portrayed as God to be worshipped, one who is enthroned, one who is almighty and all-powerful. 
There was a message to these Christians being given. It's direct and it's intentional. These first century Christians, and it's this, you are suffering right now, and it might seem to you that evil is winning. You know that Rome is all powerful, <laughs> but evil will not win in the end, and Rome is not all powerful, and Rome is not even in control because Jesus is the eternal one and he is enthroned in heaven. <laughs> Jesus is in control of all that is. This story, this scroll story, which is unfolding even right now, is determined by God, and that story will prevail. Have you ever found yourself living in a world that's a broken-down, ramshackled house? Um, it's ugly. Um, it's a disaster. Ever suffered because of the evil which has somehow infiltrated God's world and your life? I have. Lots of times. It's tough. When we experience pain and when we experience difficulty, when it seems like evil is winning. <laughs> you know, people hurt us. Sometimes friends betray us. Talk about painful. That's brutal. When we stand at the side of a grave... It looks like evil has won. You know, when we experience the brokenness on our own body and there's something wrong and we're threatened with a premature death or even an aged death, when we're broken in mind and spirit and depression takes hold or fear is so real and powerful in our lives, whatever the case may be, all might seem hopeless, all might seem like evil is winning, and that evil is in control, but my friends, the truth of the word of God is that is just appearance because the reality is Jesus is in control. Jesus is on the throne. He is all, the all-powerful one. In the end, he will win and he will make things right as he overcomes the power of evil that we now experience. And to, to these people, this is what they needed to hear in that moment as they were suffering, as they were dying for their faith, John says, don't be fooled. There's an eternity to address here. There's eternity to believe in, trust in the one who is enthroned in heaven. Lesson number two, in the midst of all this struggle and heartache and pain and turmoil, what, what this book tells us is that Jesus is with us. Now, I've read to you about seven churches. And in chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus addresses each of these churches directly. A message is given to them, mostly of correction, sometimes of praise. One church, it's only praise and encouragement. They're doing well. But, but the reality is that these seven churches are identified as seven. Seven is the perfect number of completion in the whole Bible. And particularly here, the number seven is used 54 times. So what's being described here in these seven churches is the completion of churches. It represents all churches in all time, including us. Jesus is ready to speak to us, all right, as he addresses this reality. And the great encouragement that comes in this text that I'm about to read to you is that even though at times, my, my people, you are suffering, Jesus is among us. Let me read this to you. Chapter um, 1, verse 12, but it is 460 in the book. And I'm going to re repeat something I've already read, but listen, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. We're lamps. We're to burn brightly. We're to shine. We are the light of the world, John has written earlier, Right? We are lampstands. Among the lampstand was someone like a son of man. Where have you heard that before? 
Jesus is the son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And on the description goes, you see, my friends, we may be suffering, but we are not abandoned. We may be suffering, but the reality is that Jesus is with us. We may be dying, but we have a Lord who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We have a Lord who in the end will conquer evil and defeat those realities which are the embodiment of evil in this book, the dragon representing the devil, <laughs> you know, um, the beast representing Rome and so forth. Jesus will overcome. All who sponsor evil will be defeated and they will be destroyed. Suffering might happen for a time, but we are to persevere. See, Jesus has been sent from God to be with us until he returns in power. I've talked about struggling with the reality of evil in our own lives, but have you ever been discouraged because of what you see in our world? Put up your hand if you have. You know, you watch the news and you go, how can this be? Um, you know, we hear of, of random shootings where innocent people are gunned down. And, and something in us goes, no, that's not right. We hear about a, 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 a church, a Catholic church, which was meeting in Sri Lanka a month or two ago, and, and people are slaughtered. Over 50 people die because of evil and hatred that's taken root in the heart of a man. And we look at that and we go, God, how can that be? This is so wrong. You know, I want to tell you, my friends, we, when we suffer, you know, when, when hostility comes our way, and we spoke about this last week, when Christians suffer because they identify with Jesus, here in North America, it's little, but around the world, it's huge. You know, uh, 10 or 12 years ago, uh, there was one nation in the world that was considered outright, outrightly hostile to Christians. Can you guess which that nation was? Tell me. Hmm? No. North Korea. One. A decade later, you know how many nations are now hostile to Christianity, persecuting in a very significant and dramatic way? Eleven. Saudi Arabia, Middle Eastern countries mostly, but China included. It's terrible what's going on. I said last week, 80% of people who are suffering for their faith, they are Christians, Jesus followers. I want to tell you, if it was another religion, we'd be hearing a ton about it, but because it's Christians, for some reason we don't. Pray for those people. Pray for them. Pray for others who are suffering in the name of other religions as well. But we stand back and we say, this is wrong. This cannot be. And I want to tell you, my friends, when we are there, when, when evil and its clutches take hold of our life, we need to remember Jesus is with us. He walks among us. He has promised to enable us and to comfort us and to strengthen us, to enable us to be faithful through the harsh realities of life in this broken down house. And then John comes along and he says to us as well, and says to these people, God, there's going to be a day, and it's of God's choosing when Jesus Christ will be revealed in power. This, what you're experiencing now, won't last forever. It won't last forever. Jesus will be revealed in power, not as the weak slain lamb that we've read about, but as the lion of Judah, the powerful king of kings. He will come with his people, and evil will be forever destroyed. Let me read 466 for you. It's Revelation 19, 11, and then 20, verse 11. Let this speak to you, okay? <laughs> Is the word of God impacting you today? Let it, let it impact I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white 
horse whose rider is called faithful and true. It's Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. <laughs> the crucified one. Dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are, were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, and white and clean. They have been made pure. They are righteous in God's eyes. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the Jesus we worship today. Revelation 20, 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Once we die, but it's possible to experience a second death after the judgment of God. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, that is the followers of Christ, those who trust in him, was thrown into the lake of fire. Um, my friends, that is sobering stuff, but I want to tell you once again, that is what is real. So says the word of God. We're in a battle now. We have an enemy, and he is powerful, and he is real, and he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. But a day will come when Jesus comes again. He will come in power. It will be the second coming of Jesus, and the devil and his angels will be no more. They will be destroyed. It's a powerful, powerful thing for us to know and to remember and to look forward to that day. And I want to tell you in that day we, will have, an, we have an incredible promise of what will be. Listen to this, 467. <clears throat> Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down um, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who pra practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars... They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You see it, my friends, is coming a day when this world will be made new. Suffering will end. 
It'll be gone. Crying will be gone. Mourning will be no more. Death will have been eliminated. Pain will be a thing of the past. All these things which are part of the old order in which we now live will be no more. Hmm. For God will have made all things new. A new heaven and a new earth for us to inhabit. See, my friends, this is the end of the story. <laughs> when this reality ceases to be and God recreates the old house that's been broken down and no one wants to live in, and he reveals to us something that is stunningly beautiful. And we'll walk into that and our eyes will grow wide and we'll say, this is incredible. And we will say, I want this to be my forever home. Literally. Literally. Anyone longing for that reality? Looking forward to that day? You see, my friends, this is a fantastic end that God has determined will be. There's the personal reality of all that suffering that will end. There's, there's the recreation of things, both politically and economically, environmentally, in every way. The old order will be gone, and what God intends will have come to be. And you know what I want to tell you here today? What will come to be at the end of time as we know it will be what God created at the beginning of time. Genesis 1 and 2. Back to the future. Right? Back to the future. I want to point out just briefly to you some of the parallels between Genesis 1 and 2 in Revelation. Because what's being painted as a picture for us as to what is going to be in our ultimate destiny if we just remain faithful to Christ and live for him, even persevere through suffering and trial and pain is exactly what God intended all along. See, you've heard me say often that God walked with Adam and Eve. God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He had his intimate and personal relationship with them. Let me just read this to you again. Uh, I've read it for you, so we're not going to protect it, but it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be there with them and be their God. And then later on, those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. You know what's being told to us here in this reality? <laughs> that what God has longed for since the beginning uh, of creation, you know, the reality of God having deep in his heart passionate love for us and wanting to get us back to him, it will happen and he will be with us and we will be with him. And we will live in that incredible relationship through all eternity. I want you to read four, page 468, Revelation 21.1. 468, 21.1. We're looking again for the references to Genesis. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Where have you heard about that before? Genesis 2 bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. It's incredible the life that's being produced in that place. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Where have you heard about the curse before? Genesis chapter 3, after sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, the curse was pronounced. But all of a sudden, there is no more curse 
because of what God has done. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will be identified with him. They will be his. There will be no more night. They will not need the lamp, the light of a lamp, or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. What will we do? We will reign with Christ over a new earth. You know, what, you know what heaven is? I just got to stop. Heaven is not some ethereal thing up in the sky that people go to for eternity. Heaven is a recreated earth, an earth made new. The old order have gone away. The new order has come, and we will reign with Christ on this thing that God has made new. It'll look a whole lot more like what we experience now than what we might dream heaven is. But I want to tell you it'll be infinitely better. We will walk into that old house having been made new, and we will be awed by what we see. I can't, I can't imagine it. I look at a beautiful sunset now and I say, this is your marred creation, God? And it is? Can you imagine what I'm going to see then and you? You know, you can go on and on and on. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. It's coming our way, people. It's coming our way. Jesus, the almighty God, will reign and we will reign with him. So my friends, when we are discouraged, you know what I want you to know? <laughs> when you face evil and you struggle and your heart is broken and you think that death is winning and, and, and you experience struggle and heartache in your life with depression or brokenness, whatever it is, remember, this is not the way life is supposed to be lived. Never was. But we just need to remain faithful and as we remain faithful to Jesus, it's a done deal. He's coming again and he's going to make everything new. The old order with its suffering will be no more. And we will live for an eternity with our God. He with us and we with him. In a beautiful relationship. In an incredible place. You know the only question that remains? Is who will be there? Who will be there? It's clear from what I've read to you that not everyone will. Those whose names were not written in the book of life, that's those who have chosen to follow Jesus by faith. Their names are in the book of life. Uh, they will not be in that place. They will spend a Christless eternity far from it. Let me read to you 469 in the story, Revelation 22, verse 17. And I want you to hear this. Those of you who may not have chosen to follow Jesus but might consider doing such a thing, says this. The Spirit, Spirit of God, and the bride. Who's the bride? We are, the church. What do we say? The Spirit and the bride say, come, come. Let those who hear say, come. Let the thirsty one, let the thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free... <laughs> Sorry, let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Remember in John chapter 7, John wrote about how a spring of springs of living water would rise up from within us, this being the Holy Spirit of God, which would satisfy our deepest needs, our deepest longings, and bring us incredible life. He's still writing about it. <laughs> and he's, he's saying, just come and drink. Come and see. Come and see. 
same passage, and I've kind of lost this where it is, but I'm going to read it to you. Anyway, look, I am coming soon, Jesus says. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Is that you? You know, in a church this size, you know, I got... I can be pretty certain there are people who's, who, who it's not. Who it's not, and they need to have their robes washed. They need to be forgiven of their sin. They, like Jesus, need to become white as snow, both the psalmist and Isaiah speaks of. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, my friends, we can be forgiven, and we can have this promise of an incredible reality for all eternity lived with God. Is that you? The chapter goes on. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves the practice of falsehood. My friends, no more important question will ever be asked of you from an eternal perspective than this. Will you be in that place or will you not? <sighs> Let me finish this way. Jesus has come into this world. This son of God who humbled himself and took upon himself <laughs> humanity in the form of servant and servanthood and even to the point of dying on a cross, Jesus gave his life for a purpose. This almighty, all-powerful God endured that, that he might take to himself our sin that we might come in to the presence of God and say, Lord, based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I pray that you'll forgive my sin. And in that moment, you know what God does? He forgives your sin. <laughs> and you will wear those white robes. And in that moment that, that you come to him, in that moment, the Lord comes to you. And in that moment, we are guaranteed an eternity with God in an incredible place. It's a free gift. I've read that today for those who will simply believe in Christ. Number one, Jesus has come. I want to tell you to make a way for God to get us back. But let me tell you this, Jesus has come to make a way for us to get back to God. And I pray that you have. I really do. And it may be that there's someone here today who's ready to just bow their head in the presence of this living Lord Jesus today and confess sin and, and confess faith in him and invite him into their lives to be their Savior and their Lord. And if there is, we're going to be given, giving people time to do that today in a quiet prayer. Before we do that, let me tell you this. Jesus came to make a way back to God and make it possible for God to get us back to him. But I want to tell you something else. He has come to take hold of our lives, to change our lives, so that as we become his church, as we become his people, we get to participate in the recreation of the world. Do you know that reality? We get to step into the upper story if we choose. We can ignore it. We can go about our lives doing our thing, kind of, you know, considering possibilities, you know, uh, pursuing other other. Um, priorities, even other idols, living for other things. 
even as believers. But I want to tell you, Jesus has called us to himself. He has given us faith. He's made us the eternal children of God so that we can participate in what God is doing as he renews this world. Every single Christian is called into a relationship with God to participate with God in the recreation of what we now know. Are you doing that? Do you know your role? You know, we've studied a lot of people (laughs) over this last, what is it, nine months? Paul, John, Peter, Samuel, Abram, Abraham, Sarah. The list is long. Every single one had their part to play. And I'm here today to tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus, God invites you to participate with him in the recreation of the world. Do you know the role he has called you to? Step in in various ways. Seek and understand your spiritual gifts. Seek the Lord with all of your heart. And I want to tell you, my friends, we need then to give ourselves as a church to thinking about what heaven will be. It'll be a place of justice and of righteousness. It'll be a place of love and of forgiveness and of joy. It'll be a place where the poor are cared for. It'll be a place where where Christ is known and honored. And whatever that reality is going to be someday, we need to work to create it right here, right now. This is what Jesus called the gospel of the kingdom. And I say to you, live your life, not for the things that most people tend to live their lives for here. Live your life for that which is eternal. Live your life for that thing that God has created you for and has called you into. Discover your role in the building of the kingdom of God and pursue it with passion. And God, by his spirit, will empower you and he will enable you and you will be caught up in the upper story of God. Your lower story gets to participate in God's upper story until the day either you stand before him or the day Jesus Christ returns in power to bring the kingdom in its fullness. Isn't that cool? I hope a lot of you are saying today, God, reveal to me how you want to use me to renew your world. If you don't know, Just step in. Seek him. Ask him. He'll guide you. Find your place, and God will use you in powerful ways. I want to finish with this. Notice in the book of Revelation, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about him. My friends, we are to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. We are to worship Jesus as these people did. We are to serve him with our whole lives. We are to walk in relationship with him in love. It's all about Jesus. So I say to you, live that way. Live that way. We're going to finish with a time of quiet prayer. For there may be people here today who recognize they're not part of the family of God yet. They have never acknowledged Christ as Lord by faith. They have never received him into their lives. They have never confessed their sin in his name. And there might be people here today who want to do that. I want to tell you, if you do that today, your eternity will change. And the rest of your life will change too because you'll get caught up in what God is doing in this world. So we're going to pray in silence and for those of you who wish to, to receive Jesus as Lord. I just encourage you to do so. Simple prayer. Lord, I be- Lord Jesus, I believe in you and what you did on the cross. I pray that you will forgive my sin. I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord.
And this day I will follow you. I will live in relationship with you. I will serve you with all that I am. Pray that prayer, my friends. You step in and everything changes. Let's pray. Lord God, we just uh, pause for a moment now because there may be people here who are ready to pray that prayer. God, we can't speak in these terms today without giving people that opportunity to just say, yeah, I want in. I want to be part of your family. I want to be your child. I want to be yours forever. So Lord, for those who, who are here today who want to pray that, pray, pray that prayer, we just pause for a moment. And we just give them that opportunity to pray as they have been instructed. Hear them now, our Lord, we pray. Lord, we know when people pray this prayer, your word says that the angels in heaven rejoice. How we thank you for what you have done today, what you will continue to do among us. Lord God, our prayer is that we as a church might get caught up in the upper story in a new and powerful and visionary way. That, Lord, each of us individually and we as a congregation just might be captured by what it is that you have called us to do to recreate this world in the way of your choosing. Use us, God. Let us be that church who hears your voice and says yes to what you have formed us for. Bless us as we serve you, Lord Jesus. Empower us. Strengthen us in the hard times. But use us, God, to accomplish your will as we seek to build your kingdom here on earth. In this we pray, Jesus, in your name.